Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture. A better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a human touch. Visit huma.us to learn more. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service has confirmed positive identifications of citrus yellow vein clearing virus in the Hacienda Heights area of Los Angeles County during the California Department of Food and Agriculture's routine multi-pest survey. This is the secondary in California where CYVCV has been detected following the first detections in Tulare County in March of 2022. In response to the additional detections of the virus, the California Department of Food and Agriculture is surveying residential properties within a one-mile core radius area around the initial find site in Los Angeles County to fully determine the extent of the disease's presence in the area. CYVCV can be spread by vectors as they move from tree to tree feeding on foliage. The vectors include citrus whitefly, green citrus aphid, melon or cotton aphid, and cowpea aphid, which are all known to be present in California. It can also be spread through grafting and the movement of infective propagative materials and rootstocks and contaminated tools and equipment. While there is no treatment for CYVCV as of now, the best mitigation measures are to control the virus's vectors and sanitize tools and equipment. To the greatest extent possible, growers are encouraged to urge their field crews to clean and sanitize all the equipment thoroughly between jobs or when moving between groves. For any questions, contact the CDFA Pest Hotline at 1-800-491-1899 or go to CDFA's website. The California Department of Food and Agriculture's Office of Farm to Fork has announced approximately $9 million in grants for 103 projects through the Healthy Refrigeration Grant Program. The grants will fund energy-efficient and climate-friendly refrigeration and freezer equipment for corner stores, small businesses, and food donation programs in low-income or low-food access areas throughout the state. Grantees will use the new equipment to stock California-grown fresh produce, nuts, eggs, meat, and dairy products, as well as minimally processed and culturally appropriate foods. The program is funding refrigeration units across California from Humboldt County to San Diego, according to CDFA Secretary Karen Ross. She says that demonstrates the importance of these grants in increasing food access in underserved communities. A list of awarded projects and additional information about this program can be found on the Healthy Refrigeration Grant Program webpage, which is at cafarmtofork.cdfa.ca.gov. The California Dairy Innovation Center has announced the latest short courses to be offered in 2024, as well as the dates for the second Dairy Products Processing and Packaging Innovation Conference. The Dairy Products Processing and Packaging Innovation Conference returns to Shell Beach February 27th through the 29th. The conference will feature presentations on packaging innovation by McKinsey and Company and dairy industry leadership panels. This year's program will focus on sustainability advances at the dairy plant level and throughout the supply chain. The detailed program program is available at dairy.calpoly.edu. Registration is open. 
And the CDIC is proud to collaborate with Cal Poly San Luis Obispo to organize this event with support from the Pacific Coast Coalition, Dairy Management Incorporated, and the California Dairy Research Foundation. The CDIC will offer eight workshops and hands-on training programs in 2024. The first short course is called Coffee, Tea, and Creamers, the Science and Art of Milk Ready-to-Drink Beverages, and will focus on beverage formulation and will be held January 16th and 17th at Chapman University in Orange, California. This new course will feature presentations by product development experts, as well as industry representatives from Nestle, Shabani, and more. The course will also include hands-on training demonstrations and ample networking opportunities. There are no prerequisites required for this course, which is ideal for marketing personnel, as well as for entrepreneurs and established beverage processors. Registration is open at chapman.edu. In addition, a variety of advanced and expanding learning opportunities will be available throughout the year. And for more information on those, log on to cdic.net. California farmers and ranchers are no strangers when it comes to state regulations. And starting next week, several new mandates will take effect from the California Air Resources Board. CARB has been particularly busy in enacting transportation policies called for by the legislature and Governor Gavin Newsom. The mandates affecting agriculture in 2024 stem from the governor's September 2020 executive order, which recognized impacts of climate change and the importance of transitioning to zero emission vehicles. Newsom directed the state to reach 100 percent sales rate for zero emission passenger cars and trucks by the year 2035 and 100% of medium and heavy duty vehicles by the year 2045. Now a trio of regulations aims to achieve those outcomes. The Advanced Clean Fleet Regulation or ASF requires the phase out of internal combustion engines in medium and heavy duty trucks. This affects medium and heavy duty vehicles including tractors that weigh more than 8,500 pounds. The ACF rules apply to fleets performing dry adjustments operations, those owned by the state, local and federal agencies, and high-priority fleets from companies that have $50 million or more in gross annual revenues or 50 or more vehicles. The California Farm Bureau has raised concerns about this regulation, which requires that the vehicle fleets start phasing in zero-emission vehicles, or ZEVs, next year. The majority of farmers and ranchers live in remote rural communities that have limited access to vehicle charging stations needed to support this transition, according to the Farm Bureau. The time required to charge these vehicles and the time needed to travel to charging facilities could jeopardize timely delivery of farm products, adding to the risks of food insecurity. There are also supply challenges, including shortages of ZEVs for purchase and the fact that many agricultural operations require specialty equipment or vehicles for which there is no zero emission option. These are exemptions from the rules for infrastructure and supply delays, although applying for waivers requires a lengthy process. A second regulation approved by the Air Resources Board, the Clean Truck Check, seeks to ensure that heavy-duty vehicles operating in the state are well-maintained and repaired quickly when needed to reduce emissions. The rules provide a level playing field for businesses that operate these vehicles as it applies to heavy-duty vehicles both registered in California and out of the state. The regulation covers nearly all non-gasoline vehicles weighing over 14,000 pounds. As of October 1st, those that were subject to the rule were required to enter their vehicles in the Airboard's Clean Truck Check database and pay an initial annual compliance fee of $30 a vehicle that was due by December 31st. 
Starting on January 1st, all trucks driving in California will need proof of compliance to continue operating in a state. And starting on July 1st, Clean Truck Check will require heavy-duty vehicle owners to conduct periodic emissions testing, similar to California's smog check program for cars. Periodic testing initially will be required twice yearly for nearly all vehicles in a program. Agricultural vehicles and California-registered motorhomes are required to test once annually. Lastly, new small off-road engines regulations, or SOAR, are stirring some concerns in agriculture. The rules primarily apply to lawn and garden equipment with rated power at or below 25 horsepower. Engines that use diesel fuel and engines that are used in stationary equipment, including standby generators, are not subject to SOAR regulations. Additionally, federal law preempts states from regulating new engines that are used in construction or farm equipment with less than 175 horsepower. But the SOAR regulation directly impacts machine manufacturers, if they wish to sell products within California, they must produce zero emission engines beginning January 1st. Yet even beyond 2024, consumers will be able to use any pre-2024 lawnmower, landscaping equipment, or soar regulated equipment until the end of its useful life. Equipment owners can continue to repair these engines as long as parts and equipment are available. The SOAR rules will apply only to new equipment being produced after January 1st. Older model year equipment will be allowed to be sold in stores until it's gone, then it will be replaced by zero emission equipment. Supplies of 2022 or 2023 engines may last well into 2024, depending on inventory and manufacturer demand for the products. The purchase of gas or diesel burning equipment manufacturing out of state for California use is prohibited. Some out-of-state retailers may require identification to guard against selling non-compliant equipment into the state. The California Farm Bureau continues to express concerns to the Air Resources Board about these regulations and the obstacles they will create within the food supply chain. We're thrilled to announce that the North Valley Nut Conference is taking place on January 31st at Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, California. This event is held in conjunction with University of California Cooperative Extension. It's a golden opportunity for professionals in the tree nut industry. Network with our exhibitors and sponsors who are committed to your success in the orchard. Earn valuable continuing education units and expand your knowledge on the latest industry trends. Listen to our expert speakers, share valuable insights and practical advice, but attendance is filling up fast. So make sure you visit myaglife.com backslash events and register today. We hope to see you there. The Inputs Ag Summit is just a couple of weeks away. The one-day summit in Fresno will feature three panels on topics focusing on how growers can get the most out of their inputs during what is a difficult financial time for many in the ag industry. One panel will explore regenerative agriculture and its future role in a modern ag system. Sir Bonnie Doss, a CE specialist in regenerative agriculture with Merced UCCE, will serve as the panel moderator. Doss, who started her position in August, has a background in soil science and plant biology. She says that while the practice of farming regeneratively is not at all new, the term itself is relatively recent, so it's still unclear to many what it really means. So this is a, uh, the term regenerative uh, uh, ag is kind of fairly new. Uh, so every, like people working in different sectors, like the CDFA, the researchers like us, extension workers like us, the growers, everybody's trying to define and understand what it is. But basically, to make it very simple, it is, it's, it's like trying to do farming or ranching in harmony with nature. So that's the uh, the basic kind of a concept behind it so that we can grow crops and raise animals in a very um, sustainable manner and in collaboration with different people and in a ways that nature is also nourished 
and we can produce and feed the people also. That's how, and we've been doing it for generations. It's nothing new. It's now that we are kind of the term uh, like sustainable agriculture or climate smart agriculture. All these terms are now kind of getting a new uh, brand as regenerative ag. So the idea is how we can, uh, so now it can be, uh, the uh, we are understanding, I think communities are understanding that regenerative ag can be used as a vehicle to not only have good yields, but to mitigate climate change, to sequester more soil carbon, to have more soil biodiversity, animal plant biodiversity, and human health is kind of sustained uh, with this kind of agricultural practices. I think that's, people are understanding we can use it in a more powerful, uh, it's a powerful vehicle to get all these things addressed. Doss said that aside from defining what regenerative means during the panel, panelists are planning to cover a number of other topics revolving around the practice during the hour-long session. The common practices, like there are different sectors, farming sectors, orchards, vegetable farms, ranchers, kind of who's doing what practice. So uh, what's cover cropping, what's like rotating crops, what's like having more diverse crops, can we put perennial crops, so different can we use less like that, like synthetic fertilizers, and use more of um, organic fertilizer, so things like that. So what are the uh, different practices being practiced? So we will try to address each one of them based on the time. So it's like, it's not about just being organic. Uh, can we get the nitrogen from uh, synthetic and some composting, things like that? Or can we do, uh, like it's a wide range, but we'll try to look into um, the major practices which uh, the growers in the region, probably Central Valley and across California, we are interested in knowing from each other and to kind of uh, get to it. And um, those kinds of things. And then um, the maximum residue limits or other regulations for pesticide registration. So these are very important, like how uh, these days uh, with problems with glyphosate, then problems now. Uh, I was going through a report like streptomycin, the, some the federal court kind of uh, EPA, like how um, streptomycin, aldicarbs, these kind of pesticides are again trying to get into the market. So what could be the regulations be and kind of with the host of these pesticide problems getting down to small babies and uh, breast milk and things like that. So that's also an important part we need to really address um, uh, with regenerative ag. The idea of farming regeneratively can seem intimidating at first, says Doss, but with education and resources, she hopes growers will see a way through the barriers that might come along with changing or adapting conventional farming practices. People like extension and research workers like us also try, are trying to make ways and to understand uh, like which is the best way to do it. Uh, like, um, uh, like, is there a way to, uh, like there are schemes like the Healthy Soils Program and CDFA. So uh, there are some incentives to kind of how to incentivize things uh, better so that farmers and growers can really, so there are some things available in the domain, but probably, uh, I mean, I think it came up in the conversation, it's it's not, we should not get scared about trying a couple of things at a smaller level or smaller, and then trying to think if it is economic in, in a way, then trying to and take help from people like extension workers and researchers and see how things go and then kind of make big changes before like start small and then kind of like go big. We tell uh, like we, which is our idea when we work with farmers, like whatever they feel comfortable engaging at the outset, 
rather than jumping on to because this is a big economics involved and uh, farming communities have to kind of um, really be resilient to this kind of uh, changes not only the climate change resilience but resilience to this changing economics uh, of uh, farming and ranching Panelists on the Regenerative Ag Panel will include Madeira grower Justin Wiley, who farms both conventional and regenerative, Denaire grower Rosie Burrows, whose family established the world's first certified regenerative organic almond orchard, and Mike Wolk, CEO of Corrigin Ag Solutions. Two other panels at the summit will feature the topics of IPM, as well as biologicals and biopesticides. The Inputs Ag Summit will take place on January 10, 2024, at the Big Fresno Fairgrounds. To register, sign up to sponsor or exhibit, visit myaglife.com slash events. For My Ag Life, this is Kristen Platts. Attention ag professionals, how do you maximize your efforts in your fields without breaking the bank? Come find out at the Inputs Ag Summit on January 10th in Fresno. Network with the best companies looking to help you save money and resources, making your dollars go further in the field. This is your chance to stay ahead and thrive in the face of challenges. The time to make a difference is now. You can't afford to miss out. Visit myaglife.com forward slash events to register or call 559-352-4456. The American Farm Bureau Federation was part of a letter to Congress expressing opposition to the estate tax. Dustin Shearer, Director of Government Affairs for the American Farm Bureau Federation, talks about what was in the letter. The American Farm Bureau Federation was part of a letter to Congress expressing opposition to the estate tax. Dustin Shearer, Director of Government Affairs for the American Farm Bureau, talks about what was in the letter. The Family Business Estate Tax Coalition, of which American Farm Bureau Federation is a member, sent a letter to Representatives Spinstra and Bishop, who plan on introducing the Death Tax Repeal Act in the House, hopefully sometime in mid-January. Farm Bureau has long been opposed to any type of estate tax, and this particular bill would take the estate tax completely off the books. The large number of groups signed on to the letter, including those that represent a variety of businesses outside of agriculture shows how important the issue is to the overall economy. It's very indicative of how important it is to small, privately held, family-owned businesses, farms, ranches. The estate tax is oftentimes talked about only with reference to somebody with a farm or a ranch trying to pass down a business from one generation to the next. But you apply those same principles to a family-owned small business that manufactures products or a family-owned construction company. The American Farm Bureau has long been an outspoken opponent of the death tax. For some reason, somebody at some point in history thought that somebody dying was a good enough reason to levy a tax on all of the assets that they had accumulated. We have always been philosophically just opposed to that. This particular tax makes it very difficult to transition a business from one generation to the next, which in many cases is all families want to do is keep the family in the business. It's provided for the family over the course of one generation. They want to make sure that it's there for the next. Chad Smith, Washington. The American Coalition for Ethanol has announced its 13th annual Washington, D.C. Fly-In and Government Affairs Summit. It will be held March 14th and 15th, assuming that Congress will be in session on those dates. Building off of this past spring's successful return to Capitol Hill, ACE is eager to continue hosting one of the industry's longest-running and successful fly-ins for biofuels advocates, according to the organization. The meetings will take place on Capitol Hill and at the Hyatt Regency, Washington on Capitol Hill. For more information on the event, log on to ethanol.org. The findings from USA's Premier Ag Data Collection Survey will become available in early 2024, offering a snapshot in agriculture. USA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. The results will soon be available to the public. 
the findings of USDA's 2022 Census of Agriculture. We're looking for a good product to be available on the 13th of February. That from Joe Prisaki of the Agriculture Department's National Agricultural Statistics Service. Now, some might wonder why a census, where data was collected in late 2022 and early 2023, is being released in early 2024. It takes all of 23 to compile data from between 2 and 3 million farmers, so it takes a while. And in fact, some people not familiar with how the Census of Agriculture works seem to have plenty of questions about a survey that has plenty of questions in it. For instance, I think the biggest question is, why do you mail out or try to collect data from three plus million farmers? And whereas the farm count in the United States is about two million, why? Well, because farmers are in and out, in and out, so you don't necessarily cash. That's one. The other thing people ask is, why do you do it? Trust me, it's not cheap to do a sense of agriculture. And why do you do it? It's to get that benchmark, that snapshot of what's going on in the United States. The census, every five years, does create that snapshot in time regarding agriculture. Essential, according to Prasaki, in that. My first sense of agriculture with USD NAS was in 1997. Things have changed dramatically in the world of agriculture since then. And in that census, you can track it through and see what's going on county by county to see what's happening. And there's a lot of people other than, I use the word ag, I'm air quoting ag people that look at the census. He uses the following example to illustrate the point. Somebody says, oh, hey, I'm not a farmer. But, you know, it does impact you because the census has data in there that industry folks, they'll look at and they'll say, you know what, based on these information, it looks like maybe there's a bunch of small farms coming into this particular area, this particular county, maybe we'll put a store in here. Well, what does that do? It brings jobs, it brings tax money to your local area, so it does help. The timing of the release of the 2022 Census of Agriculture results coincides with a major USDA event that same week. 100th year of the Ag Outlook Forum, NAS, we have two sessions related to the census going on, so we will be able to share the information with the broader agriculture community that's at that event on specific topics. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. The Federal Trade Commission and Department of Justice have released its final version for new merger enforcement guidelines. The final rules include substantial revisions to the existing standards, introducing new consideration for mergers that enhance buyer power. In a significant shift, the guidelines issued strongly consider how buyer power impacts competition amongst rival firms and trading partners, a major contrast to the current guidelines that largely ignore how buyer power abuses impact competition. These updates signify a notable departure in merger enforcement reflecting an effort to address concerns raised by the National Grocers Association with federal enforcers. In September of 2023, comments submitted to the FTC and DOJ on the proposed guidelines. The NGA emphasized the need for agencies to scrutinize how dominant firms utilize their bargaining leverage to impose discriminatory terms on their rivals. NGA highlighted the substantial advantage enjoyed by dominant food retailers who can exert pressure on grocery suppliers to secure more favorable terms terms, encompassing pricing, promotions, payment terms, and product availability. Following decades of consolidation, a current grocery landscape is dominated by a few national chains who wield so much economic influence they can undercut competitors simply by demanding preferable, preferable treatment from suppliers. This pattern has resulted in anti-competitive economic discrimination against independent grocers and their customer base. That, according to Chris Jones, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Council at 
and GA. The revised merger guidelines released signifies a major course correction in antitrust enforcement that recognizes the competitive dangers of buyer power. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.